Welcome to NeuroNoodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now. You are, says you have a heck of a story, uh, <laughs> Diane. What 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 is your story? Welcome to nice the Neuro story. Noodle fo- Podcast. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, my story, wow. So... That's a big question, really, because it's a long saga, so I will try to condense it. Um, But I found neurofeedback over 13 years ago, um, seeking help for my son. I had two boys. They're about 19 months apart, opposites. You know, youngest had no impulse control, and the oldest was a button pusher. (laughs) So we had a, a lot of disruptive, you know behaviors in the household and the youngest really he even got kicked out of multiple different schools and programs so I tried private school homeschool boarding school homeschool military academy and I would get a phone call you know we really love him but he's not following the program you need to come and get him you know and not everybody really loved him either because he came across as that 110 percent boy with a bad attitude you know yeah yeah so I'm struggling all of those years, just looking for different environments, thinking that if I find the right place for him or the right, you know, extra parents, because I was a single mom, you know, find the right environment for him, then he would be okay and be successful. Wasn't the case, you know, until, and he ended up in a school for quote unquote troubled teens, which I tried to avoid from the time he was five years old until he was 12 going on 13. Um, and at that point, I was introduced to the founder of a neurofeedback company. He was about a year into business, trying to make it easier for Kairos to incorporate neurofeedback. And he said, that's the kind of kid we can help. So I went through the training and uh, got in my car and drove a system from South Carolina over to, well, I say nowhere, Utah. It was Kanab, Utah, <laughs> and set up uh, uh, neurofeedback in that therapeutic program. Saved so his what- life. So, so how did it start? Like, cause there, there's some moms that just tune in. You, you never know when somebody's going to catch a podcast. We have a few hundred of them out there. The very first one I believe is called a, a mom's neurofeedback questions answered. Wow. If a mom is just, yeah, that's the number one. And that's been the most popular, but a, as a single mom going through it, uh, Dr. Marie's popping in. So if you see her hopping on, you know, um, like what, what were some of the questions that you were asking? Because when you got introduced, I believe you got remarried and, and, and you got introduced that way. I believe I saw from your biography, but I'm sure you had to be skeptical at first. What was, uh, what were some of the initial questions that you want answered? Yeah. So honestly, by that point, because I've gone through so many years, of trying other things in you know, a little experience with the medication, which was horrible because it took his personality away. And I thought I'd rather have holes in my walls than this kid with no personality sitting there. 
Um, so by the time I did get to the neurofeedback, I was already questioning, you know, I'm like, there's something got to be going on with him. He's smart. He understands. Why can't he pause before reacting? You know, so I started to kind of imagine there might be something neurological and took him to a pediatric neurologist anyways, right? So we were thinking maybe it's Tourette's, maybe it's something like that physical. So I was okay with it when I was introduced to the, well, okay, this is brainwave training. It made sense to me, but also I was at the end of options. So I was like, it, it kind of makes sense. Tell me what it is. I dove into some of the books and research, took the training and it had to work and it did, <laughs> you know. Well, well, Diane, if a mom is tuning into the show and I'm going to ask this question of everybody that comes on, what is neurofeedback? How do you answer that question? Yeah. So since I've been in the field for 13 years, my goal is to simplify it. Neurofeedback made simple. And so I use layman's terms. And to me, the version of neurofeedback that I use is just technology-driven learning. It's using technology to measure brainwave activity and help the brain learn new, healthier, better regulated patterns. <laughs> Dr. Marie Swingle, say hi to Diane Costa. Hello. Nice hi. to meet you virtually. <laughs> nice to meet you, Dr. Marie. Yeah, no. it's interesting. The, the, I, um, I got on a little late today, apologies, but just the little bit I heard, it's such a common um, story of being introduced to the field by a need and desperation. Yeah. That's changing now, though. That's totally changing now. Thankfully. The other, the other thing that's extremely common is it's the very last, I mean, you've tried absolutely everything and somehow you stumble into finding uh, at the end of the road, uh, basically, uh, neurofeedback and biofeedback as a an option. It's right. uh, it, it, it it's uh, a testament to how bad we are at promoting our field. You know, right? Um, but we've we've been a circular firing squad for uh, fifty years, so uh, you know, it's obviously not an effective technique for promotion. <laughs> uh, you got it right so yeah yeah because i was thrilled when i found it and when i went into that therapeutic program not really being a big fan of all the labels adhd odd all those different things i wasn't a big you know believer in all of that so i go in there and i start looking at brainwave patterns and i have this captive audience of these teens that were sent to this program because they couldn't function in their normal school their normal home environments but they were from uh, intact families, single parent families, adoptive families, different states, different countries. The common factor was they all had dysregulated brainwave patterns. And I was only looking at CZ doing the old traditional, you know, theta beta ratio and looking at alpha blocking. And based on that, I'm like, whatever they want to call it, there's something going on physically in these brains. Right. And then when I saw the results, Oh, I was certainly thrilled for my son, but I was a little bit mad because of what you said, Jay. <laughs> you know, we didn't hear about that all of those years. Not one professional. And I sat in rooms full of them. They didn't mention neurofeedback. So that's what I'm setting about to change. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast, you know, one click at a time, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. thank you for coming on to help us out. Uh, with, your, with your kid, I mean, did it start out with a, a brain map? Because usually that's what piques someone's interest. Like, oh, wait a minute. There's something objective that I can look at to point to, uh, to say, oh, wow, I need to, There, the dysregulation is there. Did, did Was that your aha moment or or did you do the mapping at the beginning? 
Now, I wish I had a brain map many, many, many years before, because even my parenting approach would have been a whole lot different. You know, I kept trying to be the tough mom and not give in and, um, you know, because you get judged as not being the disciplinarian. So I was the opposite and I bucked heads with him. Had I had that brain map and saw he had no impulse control, regardless of what he wanted to do, um, I would have approached it differently. So I only had the the hopes and the training and the system and looking at that CZ, yeah. a couple yeah, of ratios and figuring out what to do from there. 13 years ago, um, you know, uh, it wasn't as common as it is now. Um, it, it, uh, the percentage of the professionals in the field using full EEG, QEG has, has gone up over time as the cost of the devices has gone down and the depth of the understanding of some of the people in the field has gone up as, you know, kind of is, is being more utilized. Since then, a few years later, I did have the maps and I have to say, you know, I set up about a half dozen offices and that was a key. People just seeing that information and having something measurable yeah. to show uh, what they've been struggling with for years, you know, that gives them so much hope. And, and then the understanding that, okay, now we know what it is and we can measure it. We can help change it too. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to loop back into, um, you know, where, where do you start? I think it's fabulous now that we can do, you know, full maps, but there's, especially with children, uh, there's a large proportion of the kids that come that you just can't do a, a full map on. So I think it's really lovely that we've advanced, but um, the, the fact that we have the option with a, a very, um, shall we say, wiggly child, <laughs> a polite way, um, you know, children on the spectrum, children with extreme um, hyperactivity, et cetera, that we can just you know, steal information from a site quickly um, and get going. And as we help the child to uh, to literally quiet, uh, then we can go deeper and deeper. But I think it's really important to remember um, that we have multiple ways of, of going in now, which is fabulous. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We like I said, when I started, we just did one single evaluation and I yeah. had the success yeah. rate in that program was 100 percent, which yeah, is crazy. You got I was blown away. How can this help every person that in some way, not that everybody was perfect, but I saw people starting to sleep better. I saw them reducing medications in staff and students. I was, I was serving the whole group, like, you know, six days a week. And uh, it was mind blowing. <laughs> and so, yeah, even with the single channel, we had great success. And I still use that a lot. Uh, when yeah. we can get a map, certainly I do, but we'll always start to just calm and balance the central nervous system until and if we get a map, if we can. So how did you hop over all the hurdles? I mean, out of pocket, uh, you had to go somewhere to get it. If you're in a rural air area, it's, you know, tough to get. Um, I mean, cost number one, knowing about it, number two, get it, getting there. How, how did you overcome all, all of that? Yeah, I thankfully had really great credit and was in deep debt. <laughs> so when I, that's what happened to me. But that was because I was sending him, you know, trying to send him to multiple programs as well and funding that. Um, fortunately, the doctor that I went through the training, he actually lent me the system until I was able to, I eventually, I was at that program providing it. And I said, hey, you guys should build this in to your tuition and charge for it. It's a valued service. So we provided that at a discount, which offset some of the tuition 
And then, then I went out into the field to actually provide it. So that became my livelihood, you know, to become a trainer, to teach other docs how to do it and to provide it in, in multiple offices. I think there's a big difference now, though, with um, some of the home training units. You know, we have a really simplistic home training unit. The families, we can provide for about a third of the cost of in-office at home with supervision from a distance. That's a big difference, you know, and but I also I'm able to speak to those parents that are are looking for all those solutions for years, like the amount of money that I spent doing all of that versus, you know, even if it's five, ten thousand dollars, that's like less than one month in one of those therapeutic programs. So when you put it into perspective, it's a drop in the bucket. (laughs) And I don't mind telling them that. So how, how do you overcome the, the, the medication hurdle? Like, I'll oh, just take a pill. Everything will be fine. Well, most of the parents that I have dealt with see that that only lasts so long and then they've got to figure it out all over again, you know? Um, and so, that might, yeah, until they get tired of that, that might not be our client. So, so there's a, so, so there's an end game to this, right? I mean, you, you, you're working out the brain, you know, once the pill is, Pill is done, the half-life is over, the symptoms come back. Um, mm-hmm. You're seeing great results. Don't you think we should have this in the, in the schools with the counselors? Or how would you how would you introduce it? it I seems absolutely to me- do. I absolutely do believe it should be in all of our schools because that's where it started with my kid, right? That's when they started telling me, hey, he's having some challenges. Hey, he's like ran out of the building. He's not cooperating. He, you know. And if we had that as a resource, it would make the teacher's job so much easier. I mean, just like they go to computer lab, math class, uh, PE class, they could go a couple times a week and better regulate their brain with technology. I mean, why not? We have one public, not one public school, but several, it's in a public school district in Wyoming that saw that and understood that and used some of their special education funding to purchase systems and place it in elementary, middle, and high school. Um, they're, they're using it sparingly, though. I'd love to see them using it more widespread, you know. I want to give a shout out here to um, Mary uh, J. Sable. Um, maybe we should ask her on. This was over 20 years ago um, in New York, Yonkers School, right. a tough district. And she was really, really pushing for it. Um, and she I mean, she sent us all her testimonials in terms of what this was really doing. But politics, politics. Um, the other one I want to <laughs> Jay and Pete love me and hate me for this. But, you know, we uh, this is so the fact that this can do this we always think of the positives but there are also the negatives you know in terms of we would really need something so structured that we only do well we don't do harm the other is in terms of you know is this only for remedial learning is this only going to be for uh, behavioral problems or you know do the schools want to get into the peak performance element i mean once this is in the private schools and I have worked with very, very lovely parents with good intentions, but they over push their kids. So, you know, in terms of, you know, <clears throat> pushing for accelerated learning, you can literally create anxiety disorders with this technology as well. So uh, I'm all for it, but uh, we, we, we got to do it right. We got to do it right. Am I banned now, Jay and Pete? <laughs> now, I was waiting for you to pop in on that, Dr. Marie. Uh, yeah. But, okay, she, 
Dr. Marie, she's got all the degrees. Me and Jay, you know, we're just a couple guys. He's only read a half a Jay million is brain anything scans. But a, but a guy here. <laughs> He's only read half a million brain scans. He doesn't know anything. Yeah. Right, but, right. Mr. Yeah. Humble, Mr. Humble well, there. Yeah. But what, what, and I know you're going to cringe, uh, Doc, but what is the worst thing that can happen if you do neurofeedback wrong? You get a headache? I don't want to simplify it because you got moms and dads listening. Yeah, Where can well, we go I'll, wrong? What's the downside? Yeah, I'll, I'll simplify it. And there's a horrible term. Um, I forget how long ago, but it was to pop a kid. Okay. Um, and the fact that it was used so simply in that term, you know, states a problem as well. Um, this was before we had the, the massive um increase in autism when autism really was not on the radar um it was an extremely rare condition um and we were dealing with tons and tons of children with uh diagnoses of adhd um and so we were most of us were working with children with adhd and the most common protocol was theta beta at cz well if you have a child who's on the spectrum and you don't know they're on the spectrum and you're training beta up at CZ and forward, you are going to exacerbate all of the symptoms. It's gonna have exactly the opposite effect. Um, and it can take years, and I mean years, to reverse that back. So I don't, think it was too secret but you know slowly but surely jay do you remember when all of a sudden we were only doing theta down at cz you know yeah. it used to be theta down beta up so yes we can do a lot of uh, damage as i said if your go-to point is here and you want betterment here if you press the button in the wrong direction and go for a nap you're you're going to bring the the individual the wrong yeah. way. So this is extremely powerful, and that's why you know I, I'm you know tongue in cheek of, in terms of my, my my humor here, but I think it's very very important for people to uh, you know to to realize the power of the instrument. Um, and with anything with power, you have to wield it well with wisdom, uh, with some restraint. Um, and uh, either full-blown education uh, now is available. In the early years, we had full-blown mentorship. Um, but if you don't have mentorship or education, um, you're, you're putting people at risk. That's interesting. I have never heard that about what you just said about the autism. And in um, my 13 years, we rarely have someone that doesn't respond well to low beta up theta down at CZ, um, mm -hmm. very rarely, but maybe it depends on the beta band that you're training. And yes, you need to know what you're doing, you know, and some, having some definitions of low beta are that it's SMR. So uh, um, exactly. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and, and brain math, since the, their, their low beta is the SMR band. So, right. Um, but it, you know, um, my grandmother told me not to dive in the water unless I knew what's under the surface. And right. I think that goes for uh, clinical work as well. You know, um, it's nice to actually take a good measurement of a person. So, you know, you're not going to, you know, dive in on a rock uh, when you start your work. Um, um, you can train the wrong thing. Um, neurofeedback. Right. Although, 
it's it's not an uncommon thing to hear oh there's no side effects that's a ridiculous statement i mean if if you have no side effect you probably have no power yeah you know so um iatrogenic side effects happen uh there's uh there's a collection of them. Corey Hammond uh, uh, does lectures about uh, iatrogenic side effects and uh, carries around well-documented uh, cases uh, where uh, something was done wrong and uh, the, the case went south and, um, you know, what, how to handle it and all of that. Uh, it, historically, when we had meetings, uh, uh, there, there were uh, people would get together and share uh, uh, in a train wreck sharing. You know, I I had this little kid come in. He was an autistic, and I did beta training, and I blew him up. You know, and you know what happened and why, and you know what would you do differently? And so people would learn from other people's mistakes, and it's become less and less common for people to admit they make mistakes. So um, uh, that I, I haven't seen a uh, a, a sharing of uh, train wrecks uh, happened at a meeting in well over a decade, um, yeah. but they, they they were instructive, you know. So it's lost learning, right? And everybody was figuring it all out as well. You yeah. know, you've no been one of the that. pioneers of you know really just doing some of that trial and error along the way. You know, I yeah. because I'm a layperson and a mom was very conservative with my approach, and I still am we will only start with the most conservative protocol and for like 10 minutes. And it's, it's just magnitude training. It's no stimulation because, you know, the listeners need to be aware there are different types of neurofeedback out there. Um, yep. And I've, and I've there's stuck lots with of, lots of different models on how to provide it as well. Right. And, and you you represent one that's kind of a unique uh, approach of, of, of parents. Uh, 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 and you've got multiple centers. So it, it's it's an interesting thing to see um, th this actually work as a uh, as a business model, basically, um, to to end up with multiple centers that are working. Yeah, no, that that that's wonderful, and kudos to you to bringing it out. And uh, um, going back just a little bit in terms of um, well, two comments really. One is you know trial and error. Um, I think trial is fantastic but to design our trials in a way to minimize error so that's our, our responsibility but the other is you know what is the definition of a side effect if we take you know the, the classical pharmaceutical uh, definition of a side effect it's that in order to get this positive you will have to tolerate this negative okay i don't like that model okay um and if we use that model and we do neurotherapy correctly it doesn't exist. And again, when we promote ourselves in counter to the pharmaceutical industry, I think that is the way we should speak. There are no side effects as per the way the pharmaceutical industry defines it. But I think, as Jay said, we just kind of ran away with that. Now, there's a difference between a side effect in my, I would say, uh, constructing of uh, a re uh, constructing the, uh, the definition. Um, you know, when you do experimental, this is the projection of what we expect to happen. And we are going to be monitoring these other things because we know these are the potential caveats. So we're going to keep equal eyeballs on the potential caveats as to, so we are going to stop what we do 
you know, before we, um, do we call those side effects at that point? Potentially, okay. Yes. Um, so that's where we get into the same definitions as the pharmaceutical industry of balancing um, the positive to uh, the negative and whether the positive outweighs the benefit, uh, the negative. So it's that classic benefit, um, um, benefit risk definition. So can we split the definition? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think that monitoring is really key as well. And that's another important aspect of it. So like you talk about people that, you know, have gone the wrong way for so long that it takes years to reverse. Well, if you're in there watching it, you know, like we're in there looking at the trend graphs and everything, a minimum of every 10 sessions. And if you're paying attention to that, then you don't cause anything that's going to be that long term to to try to relieve it. Thank you. I'm going to jump on that. Watch the data, watch the data, 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 data. <laughs> and if you hook up, you know, 20 kids in a room and then walk around the room like a, um, a monitor and you're not leaning in and looking at that data, <laughs> you know, so there, there, there are safety models that we should follow. Like how many lifeguards do you need at a pool? You know, I would say depending on who's in the pool. You know, if you have, you know, older kids that need to swim a little bit and okay. Um, but <laughs> you know, yeah. How many lifeguards, how many docks? Well, isn't there two, two models, uh, to go to market here. One is the, uh, symptom removal business and that's where you get caught in the weeds. And then there is a dysregulation detection business where you do the scans and, and you mm -hmm. give the report. I like that first model because it keeps me out of the weeds because we say this all the time. It's not one thing that caused the problem. It's not going to be one thing that's going to fix it. You have yeah. to look, people are lazy. Okay. Working on your brain is hard work. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to tell somebody to go to the gym. I just want to say, you know what, here's your blood pressure. If you mm -hmm. want it to go down here, are your choices, you know, pick one of these. So what is the downside of just doing the scans? Because, Diane, we're, we're talking about the schools it, and all the politics you have to go through to get neurofeedback in there to get rid of the symptoms. What about the dysregulation detection where every year you have to go in and get a physical, right? Well, why aren't you getting that from the, from the neck down? What about from the neck up? What can we do to get schools to say, you know what? Here's a baseline of where the brain was at this time. And there was a traumatic event playing hockey or soccer down the line and comparing to comparing the two. That seems a lot easier than trying to convince somebody you're going to get rid of the symptoms. Yeah, I have, I'll go I have two queue, comments on that. <laughs> okay, two comments under that. I love the that dysregulation as well, because I haven't gone around talking about I'm going to fix this symptom or that symptom as a lay person. Again, I'm very cautious about that because I am not going near it. So our whole goal is to help the brain better regulate, regardless of what it is. So we're going to use technology driven learning to help the brain better regulate. Um, and then as far as the schools and the politics and that before and after, I agree with you, it should happen. But do they want that data on the sports teams or not? I don't know. Unfortunately, I think the parents, some parents might, um, and some might not, you know, because then you might have to pull them out of the sport if you really do see injury. Uh, that'd be ready? bad. Ready, ready. 
All right. I lo locked and loaded. Go, doctor. Yeah. No, I want to talk about genetics and epigenetics. Okay. You know, when we go in without symptoms, what we're looking at are liabilities. Okay. And if they're, if we're looking at liabilities, then you're talking potentially about risk assessment or not. Um, you know, and for, for many of these measures uh, that we see, you need some kind of an environmental trigger for them to uh, express. Uh, O1 is a classic, classic uh, um, uh, region, which, as we all know, um, modulates uh, stress tolerance, okay? And if certain ratios are, are low in the occipit region, your likelihood for addiction is very high, okay? But so is your likelihood for extreme athleticism, okay? So is your likelihood for extreme genius and production, okay? Because that that energy um, there, I, I talk, it, you know, you've got a hook in the water and it's just going to be a matter of what that hook catches, you know, whether it, it catches um, sport, whether it catches drugs, whether it ca catches entrepreneurialism, but essentially what you have is a busy brain and a brain that needs to be fed. So it's a matter of what that brain is fed. And my concern is if we do this in school, we'll say, well, young Sylvia has a high liability to addiction. We need to put her in, right? Um, so, so those are kind of my fears. And I, it, unless we really, really figure out the politics, I, I, I'd be reticent because as you said, many, we're all naive until we know something and majority of parents are going to be very naive. Um, and if you have a, um, you know, a school counselor or whatnot going over the liabilities, you, you're going to freak a lot of parents out. Um, and even in the worst case, you know, air quotes, worst case scenarios, you know, some, uh, conditions where it's kind of like 50 50 you're going to have the condition you know the twin studies etc schizophrenia there's a running line that <clears throat> we use a lot in our in our lectures which is you know if you have <clears throat> in twins you know the you have a 50 percent chance of getting schizophrenia but that's not the interesting statistic the interesting statistic is you have a 50 percent chance of not getting it so yeah uh, I'd say let's just keep yapping. So when, because we all want it in the system, but when it makes it in, everybody is aware of the uh, the caveats and that we all do good. I have a question on that. What do you think about, I mean, not every kid is going to be trained on the platform dives, right? Um, mm -hmm. But they can maybe do some stretching and push up sit-ups in gym class. Yep. So aren't there neurofeedback protocols that we could use in a very conservative, basic way to help the brain as a whole, never against what the norm is to just better regulate a little bit so they rest better maybe and, and can function better, something to that effect where we keep it very conservative yeah. like that. I mean, Jay, what not? about breathing? Introduced, breathing um, exercises. Yeah, that's why we introduced uh, phys ed in the schools. Yeah, absolutely. Right. To the body. That's, my, that's my envision of it rather than getting you know, into those complexities like you're talking about, the, you know. And this is reflected at the FDA because you have 510K clinically licensed devices where they can only sell them to clinicians. And you have other devices that are considered general health and wellness devices mm -hmm. where they can be sold to anybody who has the cash to buy them and intent to use them. And, um, uh, the, 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 there's 
the general health and wellness device, as long as it's used in that way, is an appropriate thing. People deserve to have the right to look at their brain activity and experience uh, what alpha states like and that sort of thing, just as, as a, 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 a self-exploration. But at the same time, the general health and wellness device uh, needs to be um, uh, used that way, not uh, suddenly marketed as uh, a, a medical uh, tool uh, that um, in, in the same realm uh, that a, a 510K style device would be. So it's the, the field has got a broad uh, uh, spectrum of uh, kinds of models. And again, uh, your model right now has multiple offices and that kind of success isn't that common in the clinical end model uh, where it's more common to see a, a clinical single practitioner or perhaps an institution with a handful of practitioners. But it's, um, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to see how all of this uh, kind of plays out and uh, getting neurofeedback as a, a, a finding that's more commonly available. Uh, um, it, it took forever for you to find it, uh, obviously. Uh, and and is, how, how did you finally run into it? Uh, what was the, the little trigger that, you know, you, uh, you, you suddenly, it, that flag popped up that neurofeedback was an option? Yeah, it wasn't even me finding it. I had um, married someone who had interviewed a, um, that new provider in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, that just got into the business to help Kairos make it a little easier to uh, incorporate into the practice. And then he introduced me to him and it made sense. I started researching it and waiting for the training so that I could get my hands on it because my son was at his last rope. You know, even the, the founder of that program didn't know what to do for him at that point. He was too impulsive to even yeah. go into like a wilderness therapy or anything. So, um, so it was, was it. word of mouth from somebody yes. as opposed word to of mouth. Yeah. No Some professional... people would say divine intervention, you know, God's <laughs> you, hand, whatever you believe. You don't see highway billboards. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it was really so. all of those years. I mean, he was yeah. five until 12, like just pulling my hair out, really. <laughs> so it was amazing. One of our first highway billboards here, though. <laughs> well, if you've been pulling your hair out, it looks like you've got mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's growing back now. I'm getting there. You paste it on your chin. Get, getting back to the schools, I'm not letting this go. Okay, let's put neurofeedback to the side. At the end of the day, we want we want betterment for our kids, right? What? What is the downside to teaching kids HRV or how to breathe? Like, what's the downside of that? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't see that there is. And I really think that needs to be a component that's being brought in. And I have partnered with someone as well to look at more nervous system modalities that are kind of fun that can help people like that. The virtual reality, heart rate variability, the balance boards, different things like that, that they could use. And yeah. I think in addition to a, a nice conservative neurofeedback protocol it, it would help balance the entire nervous system and the brain but if, that, the reason sense. i bring it up it's it's so simple that it could be a gateway to other things because at the end of the day you want to show that you have control over your body or certain parts of your body right and breathing all kids freak out with tests okay that could be something you have physical education 
of which everybody tries to opt out of it. If you would have some type of mental education as part of the physical education, Dr. Marie, you don't agree, you don't agree? Well, no, I mean, what, what part are we fixing? What part is broke, you know, or broken? Um, why are kids freaking out about tests? Why are kids so anxious? Are they not prepared? Is it the culture of fear? You know, um, the, the other component I want to loop into is I think to a certain extent, we're, our, our, the children are too over-controlled. Um, and the reason why they're going wild is because they're so boxed in. The second you take away the box, boom. Um, if we go back to some of the early, early literature on meditation as well, the purpose of meditation isn't to calm. The purpose of meditation is to annihilate the self. Okay, so please go back to the earlier literature. So I think, yes, if you want to teach breathing and calming techniques and HRV, absolutely. But also teach, if you're feeling that bad, okay, run around hop in the water, climb a tree, get that energy out in really, really positive way. So I'm very, very concerned about this whole calming movement for children. Sit down with a bunch of five-year-olds. Do they want to sit there and meditate on the trees? I would say probably only 10% of, of, of them. So um, again, it's, it's, a, it's a yes, but I'm, I'm really... Uh, concerned about everybody hopping on this train that's actually counter to the development of, of children. Um, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh, but I, I think we need to really respect the development of the person. And it's not just about quieting. It's about, you know, many, many children and adults for that matter thrive uh, psychologically um, with um activities where the brain and the body become aroused together and then come down together okay the problem with many of the things that we have children do and don't get me going on this one but i'm talking a lot about the, the, the you know the gaming and the um the technologies um we bring them up and then we leave them there okay that's the problem we need the ability to cascade. So I, I think we need those type of activities for children. And then I think we also need the, you know, children to learn how to quiet. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, what most parents are extremely familiar with is the bedtime routine, right? That this is an absolutely necessary um, skill, if not neurophysiological uh, skill. So yeah, that, that's just, just careful about the unidirection. In physical I education, I think stretching and breathing are the beginning of every single class. Yeah. Um, and and uh, 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 teaching somebody essentially mindfulness about their sport, uh, essentially an attempt to get them in the zone. And uh, uh, that's, I think, also uh, something that's underutilized. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, I've, I'm so far from being in school, it's, it's only a vague recollection at this point, you know? So. Well, neurofeedback, like every day is school. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Dave, doctor, go ahead. I was just thinking what the doctor said. I'm, it, I mean, that's a whole societal and cultural shift that we would yeah. need. You know, yeah. I liked it better too. And that's what I tried to find for my son. I moved, I moved so that we would have a little more space, less rules. He could be a boy, climb trees, burn things, shoot things, do stuff that boys do, you know? And um, girls, and girls. And girls that we all do. That's why I grew up with my brothers climbing trees and doing things yeah. like that. Um, but that doesn't fit into our classrooms and our schools and stuff. There's not enough time, like you said, for them to release 
mm-hmm. anything. And I mean, I just, I don't know, that's just, that's going to take an interesting lot of a cultural shift to switch. I mean, our educational system developed, okay, based on fear. Okay, so when, you know, in the 1800s, when it became or started to become obligatory in Western nations for children to attend school, okay, how did we control the children? We hurt them. We physically hurt them. We hit them, you know, whether it was rulers or throwing, you know, um, and then at a certain point in the, from the 1970s to the 1980s, okay, we started saying, oh, corporal punishment is not good for children, okay, but we didn't bring anything in. We didn't train the teachers. We didn't retrain parents, okay, and that's where we got methylphenidate. Okay, so we never bothered to do the work between corporal punishment and medication. Okay, Um, so this is where I question, there's probably nothing wrong with 80% of the kids, maybe 95% of the kids. There's something wrong with us. I mean, quite frankly, where do we get the expectations that children should sit still for eight hours a day and listen to an adult? Right. I'm not a roll today, guys. <laughs> but there are the cases, like yeah. my son, that it yeah. didn't matter, you it know, and, and it wasn't, I mean, when I homeschooled him, we were outside as much as possible, and we did, you know, whatever we could, and he still is refusing to cooperate with me, They're endangering us, you know, there's a, there's a point where you can't just let that go you've got no, i hear you i hear you but but if we're talking about putting it in the schools in general oh, yeah, right. that's what i mean yeah I, i'm playing around with percentages they're not real you know from 80 to 95 but yeah, yeah. Um, i i like your thought and your so, comment about innervating like sometimes you need to take that energy up and then bring it back down and that's what we're doing with these um functional programs that we're incorporating with other technologies where they're doing balance board work or they're doing you know the resi max in one hand and they got the glasses on the other hand and they're that and so we're getting all that activation happening and then doing some neuro and heart rate variability to calm them down too so we're kind of creating that combination which i think could work in the classroom until we can change our culture and get everybody in smaller you know local school rooms and outside more and all of that all right we'll give the schools a break for a second Diane, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about symmetry you you have several centers i mean where where did you learn business from because that's hard to scale this business and have quality control and make sure the sensors are in the right place like how did you start how did you grow you got a chief financial officer holy <laughs> crap uh, well, I don't know. There was something in my system since I was a child that was entrepreneurial. Like I remember when I was in like second grade, I, my first business, my dad was just a railroader. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I created this business where he would come to the door when he came home from work because he came home at all different times. I would measure his nose and charge him 10 cents to get in the door. <laughs> and he went along with it. <laughs> so I had like my little whole business from childhood. I don't know what it was. But I also was in a desperate situation. You know, I I had to provide for my family at that point. I had to figure it out. And it made sense to me to, uh, it was a valuable service that I knew people could, you know, benefit from and that I could make it work. So when I set it up in that program, like I said, they were charging for other services 
it made sense to me that they would charge for that service. And then that helped me with the tuition there. And then I had to leave. So I was able to train someone on site, a technician to kind of supervise. And I still got in from remotely from a distance to manage everything. And that enlightened me to the, because I had to do it, that it could be done. And so I was able to then create multiple locations where I was using that model. Most of it was remote, even way back then before, you know, pandemic. And um, I would just partner maybe with somebody that had an office already and just get a small room and set it up and do a presentation and get a few clients in there and then move on. And then I wanted to actually train providers how to provide this. So I established the, you know, my equipment, software training, support, everything that I could do to help providers provide rather than just me in my offices. And then the home stuff came into play. I knew that people needed it at home. So we created a simplified system that I could use at home remotely. So it all just kind of happened because it made sense to me. I don't know. There's so many listeners out there. I mean, we have moms and dads. We have clinicians. We have docs. And you're like, oh, you know, I want to get this thing going. And they're just stuck in the mud. Oh, I can't get this. I can't get this thing going. And then you have how many offices now? Well, I had a half dozen at one, well, maybe seven at one point, but I gradually have been closing those to help providers open their own offices. Right, right. It got to be like, I need to make, I need more people out here doing this than not just me and my offices. So, but we do have 30 like customers. Some of them are therapeutic schools. We have the public school in Wyoming. We have private practitioners um, out there. What is the number one thing that a, a single proprietor is screwing up that, that <laughs> well, they got to fix right you, away? My weakness was marketing. And I still feel like that's a tricky one. Um, so well, how do you market this stuff? It's not <laughs> regulated. That's the wrong question for me. I just said that was my weakness. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, be, I'm trying to because think of the other number one thing, maybe they're messing up. The other thing that's important is systems, having a systematic approach in each one and replicating that. But marketing's tricky. Well, if you want to get on marketing, like we can't make any claims, right, Doc? We're we're just we're just training. Yeah, yeah. We, we can't think, diagnose. Uh, right. Well, actually, no, I can. Um, so can. pair up with individuals who can. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that's very important, you know, uh, Jay talked about a circular firing squad. I think you know, when we were building up and, you know, everybody had different techniques there, there was a camaraderie in that it wasn't quite a firing squad. It was how the, the discipline and the science was advanced. And then at a certain point, it just became destructive. Um, and I think it's very, very important for all of us to align and differentiate now. Um, and, you know, I'm not the only one um, speaking, you know, some of the caution, but I think we need to align uh, to market, but with caution, not just with business models, um, but with, you know, most of us came into this with our hearts. Okay. And then we went, oh, we can do this and and also have have a business, you know, uh, have a career, um, you know, make money out of it. Okay, um, and it's just a matter of you know keeping the spurious business people out um, and keeping the people of the heart and the brains in, um, and stop beating each other up um, for the sake of beating each other up, 
but to have the voice of regulation and um, and caution. I, I think it should be simple. But the other comment is, you know, artists infamously have been, you know, unsuccessful, again, in air quotes, because they don't know how to market. They don't know the business side. And I think that's also a, uh, a deficit in, in our field that many of us um, have the brains, we have the passion or the science, okay? Uh, but we don't have the, uh, the business or the finance or, or, the, or the marketing. So that's also where the, the aligning kind of comes in. And my, my fear now is that many of the people who do have the, the marketing and the financial plans don't respect the art of what is neurotherapy because I think what we do is both an art and a science. We, we just need help with the, the business component. Yeah. And Jay, I think you go so far back and I mean that in a really positive way. Well, I'd say most of the, um, the pioneers, they were all doing this out of the universities, right? They didn't need to look where a paycheck was coming from. Right. I was um, at a state hospital. Yeah, exactly. I, so, I had a clinical operation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the problems kind of arose when people didn't have their institutional backing when we came out of the universities. And that, I think, is where the problems started. Uh, you know, it's interesting, but I was talking about with kids, we had corporal punishment and then we had methylphenidate. In neurotherapy, I think we had... Uh, the university or institutions, and then we had, you know, business, business, business. Okay, we need that that beautiful middle. So, um, please share more in terms of how how you how you yeah. jump from your passion to your success. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about clinical success. I'm talking about success of the discipline that you're now wielding. Yeah, it's really it's that that art and the heart is super important. Yeah. And, and you have to have that, but you have to understand and never discount that there's a value to that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and because of everything that I went through, like I said, it was a drop in the bucket to charge someone $5,000 for a 40 session plan. That mm -hmm. was a half of one month of tuition. And I was in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Right. So <clears throat> to me, how could I not share that with people? I had such a strong, I saw it. I saw the numbers, you know, I knew that this was a value that could save, it literally saved my son's life. He would be one of those kids that was locked up somewhere or accidentally killed himself. Now, yeah. how do you, how do you not value that and charge something and create a cash flow situation for, for everybody to benefit from? So that's how my mind works. Any way that I could, and I would go into different scenarios and just look at, Oh, I would try to find the win, win, win for everyone, for wherever I am, for me and my family, but also for the people we were serving. And if I could figure that out, then it worked and I would never do it any other way. So I'm happy to help people with that as well. We are creating sort of a licensure model so that we can help people easily with that business end when they've got that heart and the, and the science and the art, you know, and they need that support. So, cause I'm all about any way I can help people provide this. I will. Okay. Getting back to the marketing, you know, sales and marketing, the the number one thing is to set the expectations. And this is such a dynamic thing that, as Jay says, if somebody says they're an expert in this, run away. It's changing all the time. It's evolving. Everybody is different. 
there are so many different ways to attack this that it's not just one thing. You have to try them all to figure out what works. And that's hard to sell. That's hard to market. What is it? How, how are you going to fix this? Fix. We hate that word. Well, it's everything. <laughs> right. That's why I've, I've narrowed mine down to simplistic, you know, technology driven learning. And we are going to help the brain better regulate. We don't know what's going to happen first when your brain better regulates. But a lot of people find that they sleep better. They start to be able to focus better. Maybe their mood regulation improves. But a whole goal of neurofeedback is to help better regulate the brain. That's what my simplistic message has been. When people in the field are trying to get a, an idea of the size of the field, a lot of times they're involved in one of the professional organizations like ISNR or AAPB or both of those, um, and they're oriented like BCIA. Um, and and that, that misses the uh, general health and wellness groups that are out there, and there are quite a few. Uh, and uh, some of them are... Uh, uh, franchise license uh, organizations. Uh, some of them are more mom and pop, small group like you. Um, but there, there, there are uh, um, uh, there, there's more out there than is obvious uh, to to those who have a more traditional uh, approach to the field. And the other thing is, if you're trying to get an idea of the size of the field, and you're in the U.S. and you haven't really gotten out internationally and looked around the the international scene is just exploding yeah. uh, uh, south korea has their own database and uh, uh, active uh, expansion there Aust australasia has a society a, a well-established society uh, san society of applied neuroscience in europe um, yeah, italy uh, has their own society. Spain has their own society. Uh, the, uh, uh, Brazil has a large active practice. Uh, there, uh, the, there's organizations in Mexico. Um, uh, obviously, the, uh, if you look at it en masse, the field is, is exploding. If you mathematically look at it, at the publications across time, the arc up, in the number of publications uh, using neurofeedback. I mean, the, if, if you don't realize that we're on an exponential increase curve, uh, you're just not being sensitive to what's really going on. Uh, it, it, it's really quite astounding. Diane Costo, founder, CEO, Symmetry. What is the URL for that? SymmetryNeuroPT.com? Yes, that is the website. Okay, we'll put that link right here. And <laughs> is our hour almost done? Wow, did that? Oh, my God. Oh, it flew. It's this Woo! stuff. I think we got to bring uh, Diane back. Hey, that podcast booker, worth every penny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd love to come back. I'd love to bring my. A new business partner as well, who's helped me with all of those other modalities. And yeah, yeah. In and why you Let's guys will love the... him. He's oh, a neuro yeah. guru too, so he's got more of the, the neuro guru speak than I do. But <laughs> love no, we need... it's so important. I remember years ago, um, one of the I think the best compliments I got in, in some of my writing was the ability to take esoterical uh, concepts and communicate them to lay people. And that's a major issue within our field. I mean, bless you, Jay, but your knowledge is, you know, out in 
a very far galaxy. Um, <clears throat> and and how do you bridge that so people can understand? And and the other is, you know, how how do we stay away because of when you get lack of understanding, you get jargon. Okay. Um, and how do you bridge the the knowledge and bring just enough down so people know what they're buying, I suppose, know what they're getting into, um, whether it's the practitioner or the individual that needs the services. Um, but but keep out all of the, the flashy terms that are just used for the sake of flashy terms, right? Well, I have to tell you, I learned that very early on because shortly after setting up in that program and explaining it to the staff and the parents, yeah. I became the trainer for that the company that I had used that equipment for. And I had doctors, chiros and stuff, well-educated, everything coming to learn this in a three-day weekend and retaining maybe 30% of it once they got back. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going to approach my training a lot different and yeah. I am going to be repetitive and, and, and you know. Do, do not it, use acronyms. Do not use it. acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, Guys, thank you so much. Dr. Marie Swingle, Jay Gunkelman, Diane Costa. Another great episode of Neuro Noodle. We're going to bring you back, Diane. Awesome. Thank you all. Bye-bye. The Neuro Noodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our silver supporter, Mind Media. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.